It's Two Brain Radio. Every week, we'll deliver top-shelf tactics to help you improve your fitness business and move you closer to wealth. And now, here's your host, the most interesting man in fitness, Chris Cooper. This episode is brought to you by Zen Planner. If you've read my books, you know that I've been a mind-body guy since about 2007. But this year, something happened that made a massive difference. I met Zen Planner. In talking to these guys, I realized how responsive they are and how much they actually care about CrossFit affiliates and the gym industry in general. These guys are willing to listen. They'll make changes based on what gyms actually need instead of the window dressing stuff that gym owners just kind of like. They think it makes them look cool. Things that will actually change the client experience. Metrics that your coaches can use to gauge how well your clients are reacting to your programming. Check-in tools, attendance tools, wad tracking and scoreboards. The ability to plan and have people book appointments online and pay online. True automation of your business. I love working with these guys. We're going to have a great relationship. They're building a customized two-brain dashboard, and they've got so many amazing upgrades in the pipeline that will cancel out the need for other software. You should check them out. Zenplanner.com. They've been around forever, but they keep getting better. Jan Rubel is a personal friend who owns a bike store. His store is called Velarution after the Cuban Velarution when people took to the streets on their bikes. But Velarution in my city is far more than a bike store. And while I don't usually interview local celebrities and business owners on this podcast, Jan's business is exceptional. We are in the fitness industry. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably own a gym or you're an accountant or a dentist. You serve people for a living and it's that service that you sell. But Jan sells a product. You might even say he sells a commodity product because he sells bicycles and at the lower end and the very high ends, it is kind of tough to tell the difference between a Trek, a Cannondale and some of these other brands. In fact, the bike store that Jan mentions where he used to work went out of business because people were buying bikes everywhere else. Even sponsored riders were going to other bike shops and buying them cheaper. So how do you do it? If you're selling a product, you have to have a community that's even stronger than if you're selling a service. Jan has done that. I sometimes feel like I need to buy a bike just so that I can go see him at his shop. I would never consider buying a bike anywhere else locally. And it's all because of the atmosphere, the community that he's created around Velarution. I thought this would be a really helpful episode for listeners to this podcast because the things that we do, Jan has to do tenfold to get people to come back. We get to see people three to four times a week. He might see them once a year, maybe twice to get their bikes tuned up, to get their skis tuned up, maybe occasionally to buy another bike for their kid. Now, Jan's personality comes through in this interview. It's going to be obvious. I mean, the guy showed up here with beer. We're sitting in my office and he says, I've never been on a podcast. Does this take half an hour or three hours? Never even heard a podcast before. But he shows up in jeans and bike shoes because he rides his bike everywhere. I don't want you to think that this personality is just innate, though. Jan hasn't always been this chill. He's had to learn how to do it, and he's had to learn how to make this personality work through his business, meaning you and I can do it too. When I bought my first road bike off Jan, I was already driving mountain bikes in races. I won't say that I was racing because I wasn't competitive, but I was mountain biking a lot, and I wanted to train. So I called Jan and said, I'm looking to buy a road bike. And he said, I'll sell you mine. We're the same shoe size. And I noticed that on the tip of the shoes, there was a whole bunch of paint. And I wondered why, why there was paint just on the tip of these shoes. And he said, it's from kicking cars that get too close to me. As a kid, Jan was not always friendly. He was not always this laid back. As an adult, he has mellowed. He's learned to appreciate service. He's learned to find joy in his life. And that's where the phrase, ride bikes, be happy, comes from. People don't buy bikes from Jan because they're cheaper. They don't buy bikes from Jan even because the bikes are better. They buy them from Jan so they can be happy. Enjoy. All right, Jan Rubel, welcome to Two Brain Radio. Sweet, happy to be here. Yeah, thanks, thanks for bringing me beer. <laughs> First podcast ever. So before we get into this, I've known Jan probably for 20 years. I'm going to guess. Mm-hmm. You know, I bought my first road bike from Jan. It was his bike, and I even bought the shoes. There was some paint on the toes from you kicking a car with them. <laughs> and now you own this amazing bike store. And I, you know, most of the people who come on this podcast own a service business, like a CrossFit gym. You sell products. But you've created this community and this atmosphere around selling a product that I really want to talk about. 
So walk us through your, your life, man. Like what brought you to the bicycle in the first place? How did you come to own a bike shop? So, I mean, it's been kind of a life process. So I started riding a bike when I was super young. My parents immigrated uh, to Canada with me when I was around six when we came here. I was born in, in Czechoslovakia. So my parents kind of moved here. Started riding a bike a bunch and then kind of got into mountain bike racing and mountain biking through a buddy that lived around the corner and just kind of got really into it. And it was always kind of my escape, you know, like whenever I rode my bike, I was super happy. Nothing really mattered. You kind of go to that like nothing box spot. Yeah. So that's kind of how it all started. Um, I started working at shops when I was probably like 13, 14 years old. I was on the provincial team and the national team for mountain bike racing kind of for Ontario uh, when I was a junior um, and kind of kept going into kind of the early ranks of, of kind of lead riding. But um, I probably made my best connections with people and my most worthwhile friends, I guess you can say, came through cycling. They're the people that I still keep in touch with, you know, people that you reach out to um, when you're heading somewhere out of town or whatnot. So for me, it was kind of different than maybe some people finding their like long-term friends at school or through work or whatever. It was always kind of through riding. And then, so I started working at shops super early, moved out of the Sioux when I was, you know, 18 or 19, and then kind of kept that going, worked at some ski hills, running some mountain bike programs and stuff like that. Kind of started realizing I wanted to come back to the Sioux. Eventually I started realizing how rad of a spot we have here and how much I missed it because most places you kind of need to figure out your timeline to get to go riding or whatnot, get out of the city. Here it's all super close. Yeah. So that kind of brought me back to the Sioux. I started working for a shop who I worked for when I was younger, and uh, he basically kind of got me thinking about moving back. He kind of said, "Hey, I'm looking for somebody." So came back for that. That kind of fell through. He ended up pursuing a different career. Closed up shop after about a year that I came back. So ended up working at the ski hill here, running some retail and stuff like that. And then was lucky enough to start at Belarusian. I believe it was like October 2008 or so running it and I kind of walked in to like a blank slate it was kind of kind of funny you know Andre uh, was a good friend of mine that, that owned it I mean he owned it but he didn't run it uh, right he's a physiotherapist by trade and uh, so when he kind of got me to to take over uh, he basically gave me the punch code to the door and said have fun <laughs> um, okay. so, so you know showed up the first day and making sure you don't set the alarm off or something <laughs> crazy <laughs> And uh, kind of figured out the dynamic of the store through that and started out basically with one staff member. Wow. So, yeah, there was a guy that was running it before. He had a buddy that was working there. They kind of left uh, together. So it worked out. We kind of started kind of building from there. And we kind of knew each other through through riding, so we got along. I mean, I was there 2008. We bought it just going on three years now. And that was always kind of the plan, you know, like when we sat down and talked about long-term goals and how we wanted to grow a business and this, that, and the next thing. Ultimately, I said, you know, I want to either buy in or I want to buy it. And that's kind of where we ended up. So that's how we ended up here. Okay, well, tell me about Belarusian. Like, you know, the name is cool, but it's not really a bike shop, is it? I mean, people buy their bikes there. They fix their bikes there. How would you describe Belarusian to somebody who didn't know it was a bike shop? So we get a lot of people that come in and talk about, the, like, the sense of community. Yeah. Have there. yeah, And it really kind of is a community. Like in my mind, like I said before, you know, I grew up through cycling. I met some of my most worthwhile friends and some people that, you know, kind of touched my life the most through, through riding. That's kind of what we try to do. So we're super inclusive and it, it kind of is like a hangout, you know, people kind of joke that it's like cheers, you know, and you yeah. walk in and it's like, Hey Chris, what's going on, man? <laughs> you know, you want a coffee? You want a donut? donut. <laughs> yes, I do. So that's kind of our philosophy on it. And we do a lot of group rides. We have a group ride almost every day of the week. And we're very inclusive. You know, anybody that comes in and gets invited, you know, we make it really about fun rather than the seriousness of going fast or, you know. But, I mean, people around the world know Belarusian. Like, when they're cycling across Canada, they know to stop there. Yeah. Why is that? So that all kind of happens word of mouth. Um, and it's kind of a cool, cool concept. But we have a pretty big piece of property yeah. uh, where the shop is. And the shop's kind of located in the middle of it. We've got a pump track out front yeah. that we had built for us. We had a small one there and then a buddy of mine's a trail builder so he kind of came up and hung up for a few days. And then in behind the shop there's like a little wooded area that we have like a campground, mm -hmm. an urban campground. So it's free to use for traveling cyclists. Sometimes we get hitchhikers that'll pop by and be like, hey man, can we bunk out, go back? 
and then we give them access to the shower and you know yeah. bathroom facilities and that kind of thing. So, I mean, the store's been around for eleven years, but really, it, that that whole aspect of it really started from like word of mouth, just people traveling across. Warm showers is something that we're part of, which is uh, kind of like coach surfing, except for cyclists. So a lot of people kind of found out that way. But it's ultimately, you know, when you're riding a bike, you break down all these barriers with people. And I've noticed that when I tour on my own, which I don't have time to do anymore because I'm running a bike shop. <laughs> but if you have your bike with you and you have a couple bags on the back and you're hanging out just about anywhere, it opens up this like opportunity for people to talk. People are really curious, you know, so everybody's like, oh, hey, where are you going? How long have you been on the road? No, yeah. that kind of thing. So naturally, when people are touring in opposite directions or same direction, they kind of make that kind of friendship, I guess, as well. So that's kind of how people have found out about the camping facility that we have and, and that kind of stuff. So Okay. So, I mean, that's awesome. And, you know, we're going to talk more about, like, how you create a community around a product sale. But, like, that stuff doesn't sell bikes, right? And a lot of CrossFit gyms fall into this trap, too. It's like the underpants gnomes on South Park. You ever, yeah, you know, stage one, steel underpants, stage three, profit. What's stage two? Uh, stage one, steel underpants, stage three, profit. You know, how does that translate? How do the donuts, the free coffee, the cheers, hey, coop, how does that translate into selling more bikes? So I'm lucky enough, like you, to, to own a business where, you know, you dictate who you, who you hire and all that kind of stuff. And I've been lucky enough to kind of hire people that are, ultimately have been friends from the past that I worked with or, you know, people that kind of have the same mentality as, as I do. And I talk to a lot of people that run a business and they kind of ask me the same question. They're like, man, you know, you guys are kind of rocking it or, you know, reps that'll commence. They're like, oh man, like, you know, you guys have a cool vibe here. Ultimately, business-wise, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but we're not really trying to sell you anything. We're trying to educate you to make the proper choice to, okay. to enjoy what you're doing the best. So that, that's a big part of it. Everybody there is super passionate. So that passion kind of translates into when you're talking to somebody about something that you're really pumped about, like when you're coaching somebody, if you're just coaching somebody, tell them like, go do 10 reps, go do that, yeah. you know, they're probably not coming back either. So that, that's ultimately what, what ends up kind of driving the business. And it sounds kind of funny, but I've never been a super money driven person. Yeah. And uh, it sounds counterproductive for business because you're in business to make money. But ultimately, sometimes things work out better when you're not driven by the bottom dollar. So that, I think, has a big part to do with it. You know, like if it slows down a little bit, like one season or the next, you know, I'm not trying to pinch pennies as to like, okay, who's going home early or whatever, right? Like everybody's got to kind of eat for staff. Mm-hmm. There's always plenty of people. So. so, okay, a lot of us would like to hire our friends. A lot of us would have a really tough time being our friend's boss. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. How do you handle that? I think we keep a pretty good relationship going that way. I mean, we hang out after work together, you know, we'll have a beer or whatnot, kind of chat about the day, that kind of thing. Um, ultimately, there are, you know, days where, you know, something pisses you off and you got to pull somebody aside and say, like, look, like, you can't do it this way or whatever. But ultimately, try to coach people through what you didn't like rather than just kind of say like, look, man, you, you screwed up. Okay. Give me an example. So the other day we've got a, we've got a newer staff member that, uh, that kind of started he's selling, selling something to, to a customer and somebody else kind of came in and, you know, gave their two cents on it. And, uh, and one of them was like, well, I don't know. I, I think I disagree or whatnot. You know, it's like, well, can't disagree, man. Kind of doing the same thing, you know, like we're not here to fight amongst each other, but it's super simple. You know, pull somebody aside and say, look, look, like, you know, you can debate like you're like if you have a different view on something, yeah. but you can't do it in front of somebody, right? Or that that kind of idea, right? So it takes a lot to get me like really hot and bothered and pissed off. So I think that kind of helps because I can kind of internalize some of it, think it through a little bit. Everybody there knows that you know if I'm pissed, I'm pissed. <laughs> <laughs> so try try not to get to that point. Yeah. But you know, it seems like all these guys want to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, and it almost when I walk in there, it's like, who's actually working right now and who's not, who's hanging out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm, I mean, we, we get people that come in on a daily basis, just to hang out for an hour. <laughs> you know, staff. We, no customers, just customers, customers, staff as well. Like the majority of our staff, like on a day off, we'll, we'll pop in for coffee in the morning and kind of chat. So with the customers, like how do you handle that? That would kind of drive me bananas. So 
they've kind of become friends, really. Right. <laughs> you know, they're really just driven by the same passion that drives everybody that's at the shop. They kind of end up being a pretty good mix. And a lot of times, actually, it's kind of funny. We've got a couple of customers that hang out quite a bit, you know, a couple of younger dudes. And when it's super busy on a Saturday, midsummer, they're hanging out and they'll like point people to, you know, where stuff is. You're like, like, oh, you work here? No, I can help you though. <laughs> you know? So they kind of feel like they're part of that community, you know. And if you're going to hire somebody new, would you draw from those kind of volunteer guys or, you know, where do you find these new staff? Um, we have done stuff like that. Uh, yeah. We had a, we had one dude that was laid off from his regular job. So we kind of brought him on yeah. for a month or two building bikes and stuff like that. I don't generally seek out staff, I guess, in a way of like, I don't know that I think forward enough to think like, oh man, I need somebody like in two months, like in two months comes on the co shit and I need somebody. <laughs> right. But it, it's always kind of worked out with knowing the right people are, you know, taking a pick from, from somebody that is in the shop all the time. One of the girls that just left Steph, uh, she went back to school. That's basically how, how she spent the last year at the shop was, uh, you know, she started shopping there. She's hanging out, got along with everybody. The fit was right. Yeah, I mean, now it's a bummer to lose her to school, right? Um, again, we picked up somebody to kind of fill her shoes a little bit. And it was the same kind of thing. You know, it was just somebody that you know, has been a patron at the store for the last four or five years or whatnot. And I knew that they were, they're not really working. They're kind of semi-retired, super into bikes. So they, they kind of fit in really well. So is there like an application process? Are you interviewing these folks or what? Uh, yeah, I usually sit down for a coffee with them. Okay. Or a beer. Or a beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> But yeah, so I mean, we do get resumes. I, I don't go through resumes all that often. I, I really try to seek out the people that, that we want. I mean, part of the bummer with resumes these days is it's like Johnny's mom dropping it off for Johnny. Oh you my know? God. Yeah, I um, see that too. <laughs> so, I know. It's, it's unbelievable. But yeah, I think, I mean, hiring people is getting harder and harder in the fact that, you know, people are in 10 different places at once with phones and yeah. social media and whatnot. You know, so if we can kind of get people that, we already know and we already get along with and they fit in the mix. We're kind of quirky folk in yeah. the shop, you know. We were chatting about it earlier. Our rep said a little while back that you guys all have gigantic personalities that are all it's really true. different. So, I mean, we could be a lot to deal with. So we can't just take somebody off the street. I don't <laughs> <laughs> so they have, to, they have to know you. What if one of your best friends apply and you're like, that guy is not going to work for you? Yeah, I would probably just let him know. Really? I don't think it'll work out. It's not, it's not necessarily that I need to know them, but just kind of, I don't know, you got to get the right feel from somebody. What's a character attribute like somebody would have that would make you say, no, you're not going to work at Bellary? Hmm. I never thought of that. I don't know. I mean, they'd have to be pretty, pretty darn outgoing and kind of loud like we are to fit in. So, I mean, if somebody's super shy or whatnot, we're dealing with a lot of people every day. Yeah. And a big part of it is, you know, talking. It is. And, and, you know, I don't know if they get it from you or what, but, you know, last time I was there and I kind of try to find excuses to come to the shop, one of your, one of your guys meets me in the parking lot, Robbie White, and he's like, this bike is 25 years old. <laughs> what are you doing? And he made me feel bad for not buying a bike that day, even though, like, the last three times I've been there, I did. You know? <laughs> like, how do you motivate these guys to, I'm going to say, sell like that? Let's yeah. So a big part of it is that everybody really wants to be there. Like I say, there's not too many people that show up to their job when they're not working and kind of work yeah. while they're there, you know? So we're really lucky with the people that, that we have and the staff that we have really drive a lot of what happens there. Mm -hmm. I, I think, I guess, to get back to the, the question, I give staff that we have quite a bit of freedom to, to do their job. Okay. Uh, I, I try not to micromanage what they're doing. I don't know that it necessarily helps anybody. They have a lot of ownership over what they do. Okay. So I think that's kind of where, where it comes from. Like they, they own what they're, what they're doing and they know that, you know, the shop is doing awesome and they're doing awesome because of it. So it's kind of, you know, we're not really like staff or more like family. You spend more pe more time with those people than you do your actual family. Ultimately, you, you know, so yeah. you kind of, in my opinion, you, you need to be that way. When you say they know how the shop is doing and they're doing well because of that, I mean, are we talking compensation here? Are they getting bonus or anything based on how the shop is doing? Not not direct bonuses, but definitely pay increases. Okay. Yeah. I'm a firm believer, you know, in uh, supporting the people that support you. Yeah. So I, I don't think I've really ever had anybody ask me for a raise from the time that I've been at the shop. Mm -hmm. Even before I owned it, when I ran it, I would just kind of, you know, tell Andre, like, look, like we're going to bump so-and-so's pay, so, you know, that kind of thing. I think people appreciate that, you know, when they know that, the person that I guess is in charge actually cares, you know? Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. So 
like how do they know how the shop is doing? Is it just like, oh, we sold thirty bikes today? I know that's one story. That yeah, for time. sure. So I mean, we we generally we generally have meetings every couple of weeks for sure. Try to have them every week, but it just you know yeah sure doesn't happen. And then we chat about you know what's going on, where we're at sales wise compared to the previous year. So all the numbers. Yeah. I mean, there's a few people that, that get all the numbers and then everybody else kind of gets, you know, a, a good judge of where we're at for sure. So you would tell them if you're ahead of last year mm-hmm. or have you ever had to like deliver bad news? Like, look, guys, you know, we're having a bad year, a bad month. So we've been fairly lucky since I started at the store in 2008. We've experienced nothing but growth. So, I mean, ultimately, at some point, it is going to teeter at the top and potentially come down. I mean, the bike industry is going through a big boom. I mean, we do cross-country skis and fat yeah. bikes and all that kind of stuff in the winter, but cycling in general is going through a pretty pretty darn big boom. Although this year, I guess, in the industry has been down. Anybody I talk to rep-wise or um, like shop-wise, not that many people are, are up. It's been a little bit of a tougher year. Why is that? Things have changed a lot in the last few years technology-wise, so everybody's kind of been chomping up a bit, and ultimately growth can't just keep growing and growing and growing right. and growing and growing, right? There needs to be some kind of plateau. And in the last five to 10 years, it's, it's grown at an exponential rate of the, the bike industry itself. Yeah. So I think that's partly why. Okay. I mean, for us, we're, we're lucky and we're not down. But I think it's because we've, like you are saying, you know, we, we kind of distinguish ourselves as a slightly different spot than most. I mean, I, like I said, I used to ride on the, on the provincial team and really, be really competitive. And one thing that always struck me really off is I used to go to bike shops like hey, and I still do go to bike shops everywhere I go. You know, I go out of town, like my wife hates me for I'm like, oh man, there's a bike shop. Let's go check it out. It's real quick, five minutes, you know? Yeah, yeah. But ultimately, I would go into these shops that I thought were super cool and had like a reputation for them and stuff. And maybe I didn't look like the type of person that they generally sold expensive stuff to or whatever. But I just got, kind of got this like snubby kind of vibe, you know. You walk in, it's like, "Hey guys, how's it going?" And when, when a customer's saying hi to like the staff, that's that's crummy. Yeah, you know, it should be the other way around. Exactly. You know, and then they just kind of like leave you to it. Nobody's really chatty about it or whatnot. And that really kind of has been happening for years all over the place. But you don't walk into a lot of places where the customer service is really good, and it's getting worse and worse. You know, box stores aren't helping that out. You know. Yeah. Walk into a hardware store and you go try to find something, right? Like 20 people work in, but right? yeah. <laughs> you can't get anywhere. So that's kind of how we try to run the business. And really, it's a place to go, you know, like yeah. that, that whole community thing is, is really close to my heart. You know, like I, I really want people to like cycling because I love cycling. Exactly. So do you, is there a training process to your staff then? Like, do you say customer walks in the door, you go first? Yeah, absolutely. We're lucky enough to deal with a couple companies as well that uh, that have pretty like broad training, like online training programs. Okay, and that's how they end up. I mean, you know, you work in any industry, the perks are you, you're getting deals on on what you're doing. And most of the companies now have kind of switched over to doing like online training on their product and on sales services and stuff like that. So that that's kind of mandatory for us for people to do right off kind of the hop. But it's really, like I say, like we try to hire people that kind of fit in with our core geek group. You know, being in the shop for an hour kind of gives you the rundown of, you know, okay, I should go say hello to that person. And product knowledge is a big one. And that's where like the supplier training stuff really helps. But it's, it's really kind of the people that want to work there when we ask them have been hanging out there they want to work there because they like the the vibe and they want to be part of it i was talking about the dude that just started dan he came from like a computer background super techie guy awesome awesome to have you know if anybody's (laughs) got like the newest gadget he's like on it so he started this summer uh kind of two days a week now he's taking four days and we were out for a bike ride together and i was like so man how do you like the shop you know this was a couple weeks after it's like, oh, this is awesome. It's like, you guys make people's days wicked. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, I'm used to being behind a desk and just getting yelled at. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a big part of, you know, why people want to be there and kind of how they want to interact with people, for sure. But I got to tell you my dance story then. So a few weeks ago, I brought, I think, my wife's bike and one of my kids' bikes in to get tuned up. Maybe my bike. Yeah, that's right. So Dan calls and he's like, yeah, it's, uh, it's Dan from Belarusian and uh, I've got a quote here for you. It's going to be $105, you know, and, and I'm like, just do it, mm-hmm. you know, but it's just like, you know, he, he cared enough to call me and check to make sure it was okay yeah. to pump up the tires. And I mean, he could have easily said, I really think you should buy a new bike on that call and I would have done it. But, <laughs> 
But I gotta talk to them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, no. I mean, the fact that there was no upsell though, yeah. but he cared enough to call and not just do it. I mean, that speaks volumes about him. So you mentioned like there there are some training modules that come from like. Track bikes or mm-hmm. detail, right? Yeah, absolutely. Are those on sales or is it more like product knowledge? Both. Okay. Yeah, so that that stuff used to be really geared on you know product spec, like, like well, you know, this is why we're better than the, this guy. Yeah, or this is that. why you should sell our stuff and, and whatnot, right? It's really the companies that get it um, get the fact that if you're successful as a retailer, they're successful as a business because they're directly drawing from what you're doing, right? Like okay. so. If we're growing, they're growing. If we're not growing, they're not growing. So a big part of it over the last five to 10 years has realistically been, you know, getting more focused on sales, how to approach people, you know, remember Chris's name when he comes in so that if he comes in two days later, he can say, Hey Chris, how's it going? You know, stuff like that. I mean, we, we naturally do it at the store. It's kind of, kind of what we've always done, but it's cool to see that these huge companies are realizing that actually makes a difference. <laughs> well, okay, so here's my staff story. So I came in the other day, and she's like, hey, Chris. And, you know, Dan was like, hey, Chris. And Robbie was like, hey. And then you were there. And staff's like, wow, you know everybody here. And this other guy is like, hey, Chris. <laughs> I'm like, actually, I don't know that guy. But now I'm going to pretend that I do. And I hope he doesn't try to stop me at Jersey because I'm going to have to buy it. But, okay, so that's part of, like, the training that your staff get. A lot of CrossFit gyms are really nervous about even the word sales, Mm -hmm. you know. And I think we're finally coming to a point where we can talk about selling openly because, hey, man, if I don't sell you on CrossFit, you're not going to do anything. You're Mm going to sell on your coach. Absolutely. So have you ever had an issue with a staff person who's just, like, scared to sell to tell me, like, hey, look, you need to buy this? Uh, Not really. No. Is there, is there any incentive for them to sell more? Is there any commission or anything? No, we don't do commission. Like I said, I think it, it's really like the the ownership that everybody has over you know the job that they're doing. They're they're stoked to to be doing it. it it's really like in the last four years, the the cycling community in, in the Sioux has really grown. It's been really cool to see that, and and I I I hope that we're like a pretty big factor to to doing that. So the staff at the shop are, are stoked on being part of that. You know, they're cyclists. They, they're yeah. into what they're doing. They're, they're, you know, that's what they do. They, they lead group rides after work, you know, that that's their choice to do that. You know, they get hooked up with bikes or whatever to ride for the season, but they choose to do that kind of stuff because they, they want to see that community grow even more. And then they want to be super inclusive to everybody. You know, if you don't have staff that are that into it or, or that driven, then ultimately none of that stuff would happen. You know, there's only so many days I can get away from my family to go for a bike ride. Exactly. Um, you know, so it, it, it's really a, a hundred percent, you know, of everybody that's there that makes, makes the place what it is. So uh, let's talk about some examples of that. I mean, I, I was kind of working my way from what's the core of the business to what's the sales process to what's the marketing. Tell me about the group rides that you guys set up, like, you know, Titty Tuesday. Yeah, that's been huge. Yeah, so, well, tell us what that is. So Danielle, who's been at the store forever, I worked with her at Sorcerer Sports as well Yeah. Uh, when I first moved back to town. And uh, I mean, I've known her since I was 17 or 18 or, or something like that. So a couple of years ago, she went to like a women's skills clinic uh, in Copper Harbor, which is like the very tip of the Keweenaw Peninsula, super rad spot. And she came back and she's like, oh man, that was unbelievable. Like I rode with all these chicks that were all like, everybody was there for the same thing. All women. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, last year... She was like, okay, so I, I, I want to do this, like, women's group ride. Yeah. You know? She's like, are you cool with that? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So she just started pumping it through the store, you know. And I think a lot of times people want to do something, but they don't necessarily want to be super inclusive. So like I was talking about earlier with, with you know, walking into bike shops and being snubbed because I didn't roll up in a fancy car or something. <laughs> yeah. But... People always ask her, like, how did you grow this? And that now it's like, you know, 40 to 60 women every Tuesday mm-hmm. show up right from beginner all the way to whatever, you know, and then break yeah. up into groups and go, go work on skills and everybody's having a blast. But people always say, you know, how, how did you get this ride to be so successful? You know, because people and organizations have tried to do that in the past and then it's worked for a little bit and people have lost interest or whatnot. But it's really like every woman that walked into the shop whether she was buying something or looking around or sipping a coffee or whatever, Danielle was like, oh, I'm going to start this women's titty Tuesday ride. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> you know? 
So with that kind of, again, passion for what she was going to do and, and making it super inclusive, a lot of times people don't want to go up to something because they're intimidated. Yeah. You know, like, um, I mean, I'm sure you guys get it with CrossFit. It's like, oh man, I don't, I don't lift weights and I don't, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but when they get here and it's super inclusive and everybody's stoked for them and, and you know, pumping them up, then, you know, all of a sudden it's like, oh, hey, this is, this is kind of cool. I, I get this, you know? So that, that's how, that's how all those rides kind of, kind of happen. Robbie does like a, a Friday night loser ride. That's pretty fun. What's the loser ride? Uh, well, in Robbie's words, if you have nothing better to do than ride with us on a Friday, you're a loser. So <laughs> why don't you come hang out with the losers? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but it's, it's a road ride. Uh, super, okay. super casual. Leaves from the shop. Basically rides kind of the lines out, you know, fifth line, sixth line out. Usually stops at Boots and Saddles for a beer and some wings. And then you kind of cruise back into town. So super social, super inclusive. Well, I think the interesting part, and I mean, I don't know about, I don't know about the loser ride, but Titty Tuesday really gets a lot of women who have never mountain biked before. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. So they, of course they wind up buying the bike from Danielle. How does she get them to, to come out for this thing? Basically by harassing them. No. Okay. <laughs> no, she's a super driven, happy individual, which helps. Yeah. She tells people not to be scared to come out. Right. Okay. People are like, Oh, I don't really ride. She's like, Oh, it's like a beginner. Never, ever. Like what part of beginner? Never, ever. Like, yeah. don't you get it? Like never, ever. Right? Yeah, that's right. So, so I think that's how, that's how she kind of ultimately gets, gets these ladies out. And now it's, and, it, and, and, it's and it's grown, right? Like now, like, I mean. We did, we did up Titty Tuesday t-shirts for old ladies oh, last year. <laughs> they were super stoked, right? <laughs> now, like, I've got friends that work at the hospital, and they're like, all I hear on Wednesday is like, ah, Titty Tuesday was awesome. <laughs> I, I ran into Beth at uh, Walmart, like, last week. So she's a good friend of my sister's. Instead of the conversation starting with, how's Amber? It's a Titty Tuesday, biking, you know? Yeah. And it's like... Oh my god! Yeah, she was awesome. She helped out with with some of the coaching and stuff this year. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I mean, if you've got staff people who are going out of their way to bring people into the joy of biking, we're going to get to that. Of course, they're going to buy from you, right? Yeah. And, and there's no incentive for Danielle to really do that other than passion for cycling. Absolutely. I mean, like I say, as, as the store does better, everybody does better. You know, like it's we're not a co-op, but I kind of treat it like a co-op. Like, but, yeah, but it's not like, are they hitting metrics? Like, okay, if the store does 50000 in sales this month, everybody gets a 10% raise. It's nope. nothing like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they just know to trust you that uh, more money will come if the store does better. So let's talk about, like, you know, the, the broader landscape of marketing here. Because, you know, the hashtag that I see that's associated with you guys all the time is Ride Bikes Be Happy. Absolutely. Who isn't? And all my <laughs> friends... Every time they're on a damn bike, it's Instagram time. Like, it's worse than CrossFit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's worse than CrossFit. And all of them always are like, ride bikes, be happy. Yeah. They, they have from? huge smiles on their faces. They totally <laughs> Where did that whole movement come from? You know what? It, it happened very innocently, I think. I think it was Joel at the shop that, that first used it. And then, you know, we are sitting at breakfast on a Friday, all of us, and kind of chit-chatting about what's going on and shop talk and social media and, and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, man, ride bikes, be happy. Like everybody's super happy when they ride bikes. That's a rad hashtag, you that's know? True. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of So there was never like a movement by you though to be like, hey, everybody, hashtag. No, be happy. no, not at all. Totally organic. Yeah. We're very organic there. Yeah. <laughs> or organic, but, but purposeful. Like it doesn't seem really like this shit's happening by accident. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like it is. <laughs> which is weird. Yeah. It's uh, so, so for, for social media and, and, and all that kind of stuff, hashtags and that kind of thing, that's like out of, out of my realm slightly. I, yeah. I, I try not to, not that I try not to, I just don't get super into it, but we're super lucky because the staff that we have are again into it. So, you know, having Steph there for the last year, she was very much into kind of like analytics of it and yeah. uh, what works and what doesn't work and that kind of thing. So that, I mean, we do talk about it for sure. But it's not like a huge driving force in, in what we do. I always think if you can start something organically like that, it's pretty rad. Always. So other than that stuff, like what would you say draws a first timer into Revolution? If somebody, okay, I'm 42 years old, never done mountain biking before. 
or, you know, why do I think, okay, I'm going to start cycling and why do I commit you to shop? I think reputation has a bit to do with it. Okay. I mean, there's, there's a few shops in town. There's three of us. We've been around long enough now and I think we do a, we do a pretty darn good job at what we do that, you know, we get a lot of people referring us or referring to us, or referred to us. So I, I think that that's a big part of it. I think a big part of it as well is people are, people realize that there's a big difference between buying your bike or getting into cycling and going to a shop that actually does that rather than a department store or hardware store or something like that. That That's really been a big change. I mean, we don't touch anywhere near the bike numbers or dollar numbers that, you know, a Walmart or a Canadian Tire does in bikes. But I think we have way more lasting relationships with people that we do get in. And we do get a lot of people in that I think bike shops have kind of kind of tried to, or what we've tried to do is, is shed that kind of elitist, you know, we're a bike shop kind of mentality, you know, like you didn't roll up, like I say, in a fancy car. And, right. Because that's what I got all the time, rolling up in a crappy minivan. <laughs> but uh so whether you're in because you want to know where the trails are because you want to kind of get into it you're treated the same way as the person that's in there all the time i think that speaks kind of wonders as to like how many of those people come back or you know we don't have too many people that don't but what's really cool about it is all of a sudden you get these people that come in and they're not really cyclists and they get a bike and, you know, they come out for a couple group rides or they meet a couple other people through the shop or through the cycling club or whatnot. And they get out a few times and then they come in and they're looking for, you know, something else or whatnot. And then six months later, they're like, you know, I really am getting into this and I want a mountain bike rather than a road or to go with my road bike. Right. So that, that kind of organically grows as well. So from our aspect, it's again to that community aspect. It's really cool to see people to, to come in that aren't cyclists and in six months or a year or two years are like super into it. It's like somebody coming to the CrossFit gym and never working out and you know, six months later seeing results and being super stoked, right? Like it kind of makes you all warm and cozy inside. <laughs> so, so from that perspective, you don't feel the pressure to ever like upsell anybody on a more expensive bike because you know they're probably going to fall in love and... Yeah, so I'm a firm believer in, in showing people what they're looking at and showing them what is available. Okay. You know, so not not to try to upsell, and I always make it very clear with people that I talk to, you know, like it's whatever your budget is. Yeah. But you kind of need to know what's there, and, and it's dependent on what you want to do with it. Okay. So if you say you want to go mountain biking, you're going you're to start mountain biking, you're going to start riding three days a week, and you're looking at a $400 mountain bike, it's probably not going to last you very long. Right. You know? But if you spend 800 bucks or 1000 bucks, then that'll get you through till you decide that you want the next best thing or, or whatever, right? So it's money better spent. So it, it, again, turns into more of the education aspect of this will get you going and this will this is what it will do. And be very honest with people as to like, you will have issues down the road with said, said, and said yeah. piece or whatever. But if you go here, then you may not. So it's not... Like I said, it's not really, we don't go out of our way to sell people stuff or upsell people, but we really go out of our way to educate people. So you and I both sell a higher end product or service against low price competition. Mm -hmm. You've got Walmart, I've got Good Life. Yeah. What do you tell somebody when they're like, nah, I'm going to go with Walmart? Generally, we say have at her in a very polite way. Okay. I mean, one, hopefully that person that's come in has seen the attention that they got from whoever's dealing with them. They got a ton of product knowledge. If they decide to take that product knowledge and go buy a hundred dollar bike at Walmart, they're probably going to trash it in a week and be back anyways. So, like I say, we're not going out of our way to you know. Well, you know, I need to buy it here because this, this, and this. And I think that's why that our customers like coming in because they're never that whole like people are hanging out, eating donuts, and you know, donuts Saturdays, <laughs> <laughs> eating donuts and drinking coffee. It's not because they're like. You know, there because somebody's like down their throat trying to sell them something. It's because they like coming there and they will probably buy something right. or whatnot, you know. Got a funny story with a customer. Actually, uh, we were up for a road ride, the loser ride. And we're riding down Landslide Road and I see this like lock on the side of the road. And it's like $150 lock, like pretty wow. darn Good expensive, one. you know. So I turn around and pick it up. Still got the key in it. Toss it in my pocket and we're having a beer at Boots and Saddles. And somebody's like, what are you going to do with that? It's like, well... I don't know that anybody else in town sells these, so I'm going to go through the list of people that we sold them to and call them and see if they wow. lost their lock, right? Wow. And sure enough, it was like the second last person that I called. <laughs> it's yeah. like, yeah, that's mine! <laughs> you know? But it's like, 
that kind of, you know, that kind of stuff is what makes a big difference and what makes customers feel like they are part of the, the whole Valerie family. And that's, that's kind of what we're trying to push there. Is there ever a point where you see a customer going off the rails in their decision or being paralyzed by choice? Okay. So it's like, well, this, I got this track, I got this Cannondale, you know, I, I just can't decide. So I'm going to go think about it. And they never actually make a decision. They're going to miss the whole cycling season. Like at what point do you say the track is the one you need? Generally, you can tell how people fit on it. So, I mean, you know, we always say try, try what you're buying out because that's, you know, you wouldn't buy a car with a sure. for a test drive sure. or whatnot. You know, if you break it down to people that way and say like, like which one feels better, usually people can make that, that decision. Sometimes they can't. And I mean, sometimes people are just super indecisive and you're not going to help that in any way. But generally you can kind of talk people through, you know, what they feel was good about something or what they feel wasn't good about something and, mm-hmm. and kind of get them to, to come to a general consensus of what, what they're looking at. So there's never a point where you would say, like, you know, I don't think that bike's for you. You should really try this. Yeah, absolutely, I would. Uh, if I if I find that you know somebody's looking at something that for one doesn't seem to fit them properly, or the, the style of riding that they're doing is going to be totally different than what yeah. that bike's intended for, then yeah, you just basically break it down and say, you know what, like this this isn't what you want. You know, it's like somebody buying a Corvette that wants to go wheeling on the weekends, you know, down dirt roads or whatever. This isn't the car for you. you know? Yeah. yeah exactly. So, yeah. And I think that's part of the whole education process. Like a lot of people don't, don't know. Right. So that's yeah. what we're there for. You know, we get people that come in that say, oh man, my ass hurts when I'm riding my bike. It's like, okay, cool. You're wearing a cycling short. Like, no. Okay. That'll make a big difference. Like really? You know? Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's kind of, if you treat whatever business that you're that you're part of or that you that you run in a way that every client that comes in already knows what you know, then that that's like the total opposite approach of what what where you should be coming from, right? Like if you're running your coaching business or you know the CrossFit gym and everybody that comes in, you're just like, okay, yep, they already know how to squat that or do yeah. that or whatever. You're not helping them, right? Um, and that's ultimately what what you want to be doing. If you want to be growing business and you want to, especially like people-based business, obviously, yeah. you, know, you want to be helping people with, with their problems or their questions and stuff like that. You know, it's intimidating enough to walk into a bike shop with a bunch of people that ride bikes. If you don't ride bikes and then have somebody like scoff at you or whatever that you don't know about cycling shorts or, you know, oh, your ass hurts because you don't ride, you know, <laughs> but, yeah. so yeah, it's, it's, it's a whole educational process. I would say it's the best way to, to describe it from my end. So, and I think that builds a lot of trust with your clients too, mm-hmm. right? Like, honestly, when we buy a bike from you guys, we don't look at the price tag. We look at the guy selling it because they're saying, no, no, your daughter needs this instead. Yeah. So that trust factor is obviously huge then too. And you guys build that through a lot of community outreach. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you, you know, as an entrepreneur, there are free cycling groups in town, mm-hmm. right? There's the Sioux Cycling Club. As long as I've been aware of the Sioux Cycling Club, it's gone through these massive peaks and valleys, and I'm sure this happens in every city where there's a free kind of volunteer service available yeah. that nobody takes advantage of. Mm-hmm. Then you charge two bucks for Titty Tuesday and you get 60 women showing up. Why? Titty Tuesday is free. Isn't it two bucks? Mm-hmm. So, okay, so why? Why are people showing up for your Titty Tuesday and not for the official Sioux Cycling Club? You know what? It's a question that I've been trying to figure out an answer to for a, for a long time. I, I sit on the Sioux Cycling Club executive, so we're always talking about how to get more people out to yeah. events and, and all that kind of stuff. And ultimately, I don't have an exact answer, <laughs> if that makes sense. I, I think it's be, partly because there's a little bit less pressure put on people when it's not like, like a club function or whatnot. I think sometimes... Sometimes clubs and organizations focus too much on we can't do that because of this or what's the liability behind that and and that kind of thing, which I mean, we're aware of what our liabilities are doing these rides and all that kind of stuff, but we don't press the issue all that much. Press it in the fact that like I'm I'm not going out of my way to tell people what the dangers of whatever is, you know, like, okay, you're coming mountain biking. This is dangerous. Like it's not dangerous, man. You know, like it's only as dangerous as you make things. Driving is dangerous. <laughs> so I think partly that I think with clubs, sometimes if you don't show a, a 
what you get for being part of that club or if there aren't a lot of things going on. And not, not that I, not that there aren't a lot of things going on because there always are a lot of things going on behind the scenes. But if, if members of stuff like that are, don't feel included, then they're probably not going to go. Whereas if you can create events that everybody feels like they're included and they're, they're part of something, then all of a sudden it's that kind of happy feeling that people get when they, when they get up. Okay. Do you think like adding kind of an exclusivity factor to it, you know, Titty Tuesday is obviously just for women, mm-hmm. right? And it, it's got a name that tells me like, this is not a serious road racing club, mm-hmm. right? It's yeah, absolutely. But it's only for women. Do you think that actually opens the door to more beginners coming in? Yeah, sure. And, and it and it kind of sheds light on the feel of the ride too, right? Like yeah. Titty Tuesday, like I had a bunch of bunch of reps and even like some like women's ambassadors for like some companies that feel like you guys sure. <laughs> We're nowhere sure. We got it. Sure, you want to call it that? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and ultimately, Danielle said it best. She was like, "Man, if you can't get the humor in it, you probably shouldn't come out." <laughs> you know, like if you wow. can't, if you can't get like the the fun factor of like what this ride is or what the rides that we do are. It probably isn't the ride for you. I, I get it. I think there's a line there too, right? Like you wouldn't want to be like bitches and bikes. Yeah. Because then, <laughs> yeah, you know. For sure. Yeah. Uh, the lady that goes up for Titty Tuesday told us that we should start a Wang Wednesday for the, <laughs> for the, for the dudes. <laughs> yeah, I'm in. I'm in. That's awesome. Okay. You know, the last thing I want to talk about is political activism because CrossFit has always been very politically active. You know, Andre, when he was your partner, was always, and he was at like every city council meeting, raising hell. Do you think that benefits or can it sometimes backfire for your business? It depends on what you're advocating for, I think, okay. at times, and how loud you are. Okay. So I think, you know, if you're super loud and you're super driven as to like, I'm driving in this this thought that I have or this like issue that I have. Yeah. then that, that can get people's backs up a little bit, you know, like I think you need to be slightly, slightly open, take people's consideration in, you know, I think a big part of political act- activism is drawing more people into it. So okay. not trying to be like a single, single entity that wants to do something, but trying to get everybody behind it because then your voice is bigger. So I had a conversation, uh, we had a going away party for Steph actually in the campground behind the shop a week ago or two weeks ago. That's kind of fun. A big bonfire, whatnot, you know, nice. um, some beverages. But I was talking to, to some customers, you know, and they're saying, you know, it'd be awesome if we can get trail building going or, you know, like be more like Marquette or Copper Harbor, yeah, or, yeah. you know, like it's easy to kind of compare yourself to, to somewhere that you go. And ultimately conversation turned into like, we can, but you guys need to kind of make your voices heard as well. You know, like you're a doctor, you're a chiropractor, like you moved back to the Sioux to do the, these things that we want to do. So you need to let yourself be heard. You can't like, you can't expect it to happen. So the more people that I think you can get behind your cause, the the easier it's going to be to get that across rather than being super act, active as like a person or like one business saying like, we're going to do this. Which is, was more Andre style, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's a polarizing guy. You and I love him. Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody did. Absolutely. You know, is there some value to that, like getting people to either be very, very loyal to you or not at all? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the more people you can get on your side with anything, the better yeah. the better you are, right? I think you and I have a more similar style to that. that yeah. Yeah. I mean, Andre, I've known him since I was, you know, like I was 10 when I met him. And uh, so I've known him like the majority of my life. Uh, I think he's hilarious. I get a kick out of his humor. It's very like cut and dry. Like he says exactly what's on his, on his tongue, you know. Uh, which sometimes hinders them. But I've had people that, that, you know, shop at the store and they say like, they're really good customers. And they're like, like, since you bought this place, like that's what made me come here, but I wouldn't come here before. That's like, why not? You know? And they're like, Oh, I just, I don't like Andre. It's like, why? Like, uh, nobody can really pinpoint it. But yeah. I think it's that kind of like loud, like, no, this is what we need to do. Cars are bad. Bikes are good. You know, like that's yeah. two, two very different ways of, of doing things. I think. I got it. And the reason that I'm asking this is, hundred percent of my listeners do not know who Andre is, mm-hmm. but, they, but they're getting the same thing from CrossFit HQ, which is this very polarized message about healthcare and diabetes and soda, where most CrossFit affiliates are actually more like you and I, where they're saying, let's get people on board this movement if we're going to change the world. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that that's a really big part of it. And, and 
like as far as I know that when I was watching the CrossFit Games this year and they pulled out that that, that biathlon event, it's <laughs> like CrossFit. Yeah, that was awesome. My my first thought was like yes, and my second thought was like I got to show you on. Yeah. So how do you kind of like work together with community partners, and have you done that to grow your business at all? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean. I think the more of your community that you can get into what you're doing, the better everybody is. You know, like I was saying earlier, like I want people to realize how rad the suit is for the things that I see out of it. So I try to partner with, with people with like, you know, figuring out bike racks for downtown and yeah. stuff like that. But ultimately I think a lot of people run into roadblocks where it's like, well, we don't want to do that. It's like, okay, fine. Then we're just going to do it. So okay. for example, that downtown here doesn't have a whole lot of like bike racks around right i've talked to a few people at the city kind of can't get like a straight answer out of it um so i partnered with a couple businesses and i just said like look why don't we throw a bike rack in front of your business no charge i mean they don't cost us a heck of a lot of money but the more people that can be riding bikes to different parts of your community the better it is for everybody right Mm -hmm. the less car congestion there is the healthier those people are you know they're having more fun we stuck some some racks at both the breweries downtown, you know, so you can go ride down for a beer. Nice. <laughs> I, I try to work with as many people as possible, but ultimately, like, if if we can make where we are a better place with us being able to, to take charge on it, then I'm willing to do that. But I always want to have as many people on board as possible because, like I say, the, your, your voice is louder the more people you have, you know. Every business downtown is like... Hey, we want bike racks. The city would probably put in bike racks. You know, people wouldn't bitch about Green Street being busy or whatever because more people would be down there kind of walking around or or whatever. But if nobody says anything, then we're willing to do it. (laughs) And and just kind of grow the pie. Yeah, absolutely. So instead of competing with these other two bike shops in town and, you know, fight over the division of the pie, you're mostly just like, let's create more cyclists and grow the whole thing. Absolutely. Yeah, it's good for everybody. That's great, man. And, you know, a lot of CrossFit owners need to hear that because there is a lot of infighting where you have one city and you've got five or six CrossFit gyms and they're all, like, fighting over, we want to get Jan Rubel in here. You know, we're going to fight over that guy and I'm going to undercut you. Just do a better job than none of us. Well, we're fitness, right? Yeah, absolutely. Honestly. Yeah. So, okay, man. Well, I think we're going to leave it there. That That's a great message to end on. And actually, your former partner once said to me, like, if you really care about your service, you have to care about your community because if your community goes away, you don't have a service. Anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right, Jan. Thanks a lot for coming on the show. Man. Absolutely. Um, thanks for having me. I think people are going to get a lot out of this. And thanks for the uh, 51K IPA. Yeah, Black Rocks beer. Thanks. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by the Two Brain UK Summit, November 11th and 12th at Reebok CrossFit Thames in London, England. We are taking our famous summit on the road to Europe this fall, and we hope to see you there. November 11th and 12th, Reebok CrossFit Thames, the largest box in the UK. We're going to be there. Jason Williams is going to be there. Some other Two Brain mentors will join me. We'll have some coaches there. We'll have some special guests. You can sign up on our site, twobrainbusiness.com forward slash summit.